I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of James as we continue our study. As we look at this idea of wholehearted, being wholehearted in our worship of Jesus Christ, looking specifically in James 1 at the role of trials, adversities, and challenges, and how God uses that uh, to teach us how to be wholehearted uh, in our worship of Him. And so we're going to uh, continue as we look at James chapter 1, looking primarily at verses 9 through 12. Then we'll begin with uh, verses 2 through 4 as we uh, see and review our time uh, together. And so if you will now stand as we read this together, James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Well, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass... He will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers its grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. You may be seated. I have memories of fears of being in school. And one of my fears was that one day a professor or a teacher would come and give me a test. And I would not know until I got the test that I'd studied the wrong subject. That's one of the fears that I've had, just that moment of terror of realizing I'm woefully unprepared for the test that's coming my way. As I read in the book of James, the Bible uses this interchangeable word, trials and tests. Uh, and in that, God is telling us through James that the trials and challenges we are going through are tests. God is looking for something. And I do not want us to be sitting before God's class and to have the test come to us and realize we're studying for the wrong subject. So what does it mean to be studying for God's test. And I think James is really hitting at this and he wants us to understand when we go through trials, when we go through adversities, there is something God is looking for. He is desiring and, and part of it is captured with this idea of wholehearted. To be a wholehearted person is, uh, you see this in James chapter 1, uh, when you see this phrase of being, verse 4, being perfect, complete, 
lacking in nothing. It is the idea of being wholehearted before God, not to have divisions uh, in our life. And we've looked at this last week and we saw that when people talk about uh, conflicts and, and that there's some notoriety of a scandal that they were a part of. And, and sometimes they may use the phrase, don't let that define me. And the problem is that that they're referring is part of who they are. The scandal of which they became uh, notorious for. And is to understand that there are within our mind, within our hearts, divided loyalties. And that God is working in life to get us under one umbrella, one loyalty, one name, one heart. That is real. One of the things that we'll see today is that if we're not careful, our heart will latch on to fading things. And our soul becomes fading as well. In some ways, you become what you worship. And if you worship failing, fading things, our life becomes shading, shady, uh, shadows and fading as well. And so with that, let's look as we go through. And I'd like to do a little bit of review as we looked at this beginning with verse 2. Chapter 1, verse 1 is about who James is and how this is going out. We saw that this is uh, most likely the brother of Jesus. Um, but as we looked in verse 2, counted all joys, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So when you meet trials, let's us know that trials are certain. It's going to happen in your life. So either you're just recovering from a trial, you're in a trial, or you're going to be in a trial. You're, you're in either one of those states, and sometimes all three uh, at once. Uh, and so these are what's going to happen. And so if these are going to happen, we might as well go through it in a, such a way that it matters, in such a way that it counts for eternity. And so as we look in verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers. And we learn that perspective and trials matter. Your perspective and what you're going through will make and break how you go through it. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that we are notorious because we're human is that we will be complainers. Complainers in the midst of it all. I, I believe I share with you the, some of the travails of having uh, cars and three cars. And, and the problem with having an engine is that something will fail at some point when you have an engine. And so when you have three cars, well, you know, I've just gotten used to the light that says service engine soon. Um, it's going to happen on, on one of them or all of them at one time. And But when it first started to happen, I remember just being angry and and having weariness and complaining and just like this stinks and 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 having this attitude of of complaining and realizing that God was working through this to teach me to be thankful in all these things when the service engine light comes on and and that is a metaphor of life there's always going to be something that says service engine soon something needs to happen there is some challenge in front of us and so let us not be the complainers but learn how to have joy in these times, the perspective matters. And so as we keep on reading, he says, why should we have joy? Verse 3, here's the reason why we should have joy. And, I, and, and at first blush, it doesn't give us a lot of reason to be joy. It, his reason is this. For you know, have joy, for you know that the testing your face produces steadfastness. Woo! I'm reminded of the Geico commercial. You've seen the Geico commercials where, where people are uh, you know, running into uh, things and 
uh, absurd getting paper cuts and stuff, and they're having this absurd reaction of laughter and joy. And I think, is this like a big Geico commercial? <laughs> there, there's got to be something here that's not absurd and having joy. And so he goes on and explaining this uh, and says, well, this steadfastness, uh, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So we said there is heart growth on the other side of endurance. There is heart growth on the other side of endurance if... All right, so there's some conditions. You know people that go through hard times, and instead of bringing joy in their life, they're bitterness. And they rot. And they've lost the ability to laugh and to make light of themselves. And everything is a, a travail to their heart. They've just lost the joy. So what are the conditions here? Well, there's heart growth on the other side of endurance if, and this is where we come down to verse um, 5, if we ask for wisdom, for joy in the suffering. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And so the wisdom are the footholds, and the image here is of climbing a mountain, and that we need some footholds, uh, some handholds, to help us to, to get across the mountain. At least three of them, three out of the four, that we can hold on to. And so we're asking God, give us wisdom to endure what we're going through, to do so with joy, and know that God, here's the great thing, God wants to give you wisdom. He is going to give it generously to anyone who will ask. And so, uh, if we are foolish in what we're doing, it's our own fault. God wants us to know the footholds to hold on to. And so then, we ask for wisdom, for joy in suffering. And if there's another condition of this joy that comes through suffering, if we seek and trust Christ above all pursuits. Where does that come from? Well, uh, he goes on and says, well, you can pray and, and God will ask or God will give. But, verse 7, but for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. What person? Well, the person who asks in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. They are willfully divided in their heart. They, what God is looking for is someone that has single-hearted pursuit of Jesus Christ. I hope that as you study this, you'll see some echoes of the Beatitudes that Jesus gives us in Matthew 5. Uh, one of them, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so Jesus hit upon this, this idea of desiring one purpose, to see God, and God says, Jesus says, they'll see him. They will see God when that's their heart. And so he says, let's seek and trust God above all pursuits. And one of the things that I was teaching that is that wisdom, as we look at it from the Bible, cumulative definition of wisdom is the ability to see the beauty of God's authority in all things. The beauty of God's authority in all things. Now, notice we said various trials. And so we're not limited to just the physical calamities that may happen uh, when cancer comes. That certainly 
qualifies, but it also includes financial calamities that may come. It could emotional calamities, the social calamities that happens, family calamities, things in your job. There's all types of things that this applies to that God is saying the whole world is his classroom and you will endure, you will go go through difficulties, but there's a test. God is looking for something. He's looking for your trust in him. You're looking, he's looking for your trust in him. So, what are the lessons God's given? What are the most recent trials of your life? Probably don't have to think too hard. Hopefully, you've got them right there. You can write them on, the, on your sheet if you want to. You know what they are. Understand that God is looking for your trust in that time, in that incident. And so, we're going to go on, and this continues the theme of dealing with trials. You'll see that there is verse 9 through 12, kind of an echoing back to verses chapter 2, uh, verse 2 and 4. Uh, some of the same words you see employed in 2 and 4, you'll see also in 9 and 12. Now, it seems like a little bit of about face. Verse 9, all of a sudden he talks about those lowly brothers, those who are in poverty. The, let the lowly brother exalt, um, boast in his exaltation, and then the Opposite extreme, the rich and his humiliation. What does this have to do with trials? What James is doing is he's listing two possible trials. And he's saying, let me show you an example of what this looks like to see God's wisdom in this trial and hold on to it. So we've, we've learned the principles in verses 1 through 8. Now, verses 9 through 12, he's going to give us two scenarios of two different trials and how this looks or what this looks like when you're holding on to God's wisdom. Now, what are the trials? Well, the one of them is is very obvious, right? The one who is humble circumstances, the one who is poor. But do you understand that he's saying in verse 10 that the rich also is a trial? Prosperity is a trial, is a adversity. You say, well, how so? Well, God is not testing you for comfort. If that was the case, then, well, riches would not be a trial, would it? God is not looking for our comfort. He is looking for our trust and him. So the poverty can be a challenge to the trusting in God, and so too can the riches be a challenge to our trust in God, and perhaps maybe even more of a challenge, more of an adversity to our trusting in God than the poverty. And so he's going to say, here are two different examples of trials and challenges, and I'm going to show you how to apply wisdom, how to see God's authority in these two different trials with the idea that they can apply across the board to many trials that we go through. So, with that being said, as we read in verse 9 and 10, he says, Let the lowly brother boast in exaltation, the rich in humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away goes on in verse 11 explaining that the sun rises with the scorching heat where there's the grass its flowers falls its beauty perishes so also the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits he's leaning on a lot of old testament passages like psalm 102 and bringing these truths out but here's something i want you to see that he's looking at poverty and riches are passing things 
They don't last. Here's something we can learn from this. James is teaching us that trials have seasons. When you look at two specific trials, poverty and riches, he brings the reader, he helps us understand these things are passing. And sometimes, if you're not careful, you will make decisions based on the idea that this state that you're in is going to last forever. And you will make decisions of of your perspective and your emotions that will say, this is going to last forever and there is perhaps maybe a woe is me or perhaps maybe I can count on things that I shouldn't count on. I remember uh, sometimes when I, I work out with some some of the guys, we, we do, uh, do a workout, uh, and it'll be about a 45-minute workout uh, in, in the mornings, and it starts off a little warm-ups. And, but somewhere along the way, when it's a really good workout, there should be an emotional response within me that says this, why am I doing this? That's when I know it's a good workout. When there is this, all right, this hurts. This this. Uh, okay, when I start looking at my watch and realizing, okay, this isn't going to last forever. That lets me know that I'm doing some challenging things and I'm testing my mental uh, testing and hardship and, and hardiness and dealing with something. And, and that's how I know that this is a pretty good workout when at the end of it, I thank God it's over. I can go on with my day. That's behind me. All right, so uh, I remember my mom saying things like this and, and saying, you know, this isn't going to last forever. And there is an, an idea where James with God is saying the things that you go through, whether it's the, the poverty or the riches, they're not going to last forever. And you just need to understand that whatever trials you're going through, you see this in, in the Bible where uh, God allows things to happen, but they don't last forever. You see even uh, God allowing Satan to tempt Jesus, but the Bible says that he left him after enduring Jesus' dirt. Satan left him for a season. Do you understand that there's going to be seasons in your life? I know when you're younger, it's hard to imagine the seasons because you're only living just a few years. But for those of us who've lived longer, we've seen the seasons that come and go and we think our we must learn to thank God for the seasons that we're in because there are some things to be learned in those seasons that can only happen in the seasons and so notice how he says it this way and referring to to the rich the rich men the rich is the humiliation he says look the lowly brother person who's poor there is an exalting because this state this person's in isn't going to last forever And he's going to look to what God has given him through Jesus Christ and find exaltation there. That he's not defined by his income or his clothing or how old his car is. And the fact that he has a car lets us know that we're talking America. When I'm defining it. Because if I was in other countries, the fact that you had a car or have a car, well, you're kind of, you're on the edge of riches. I understand this is relative. If you could look at it from the world we're all rich from the world standard. But even those that make six digits and have million saved up 
have defined themselves according to surveys as not wealthy. So we understand the relative aspect of this, but also know that our identity is not in our lack or in our abundance. That's a really important for us to understand. And so he says, let the poor, poor man or the, uh, the one who is lacking rejoice in his exaltation. And then the rich in his humiliation. How is the rich humiliated? Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Because that trial, that challenge of adversity is going to pass away. I know when I define challenges like this as an adversity or, or riches as adversity, there's quite a few of us that says, sign me up. Let me be afflicted in that way, All right? I know that's kind of a natural reaction, um, but I've talked to some who say and taught me that there is such a challenge in this. And I want you to be clear that when the Bible talks about, James is going to hit on the rich a lot and the poor. It is not wrong to make a lot of money. I want you to understand that. But it can be exceedingly wicked to live in a rich lifestyle. What do I mean by that? When you see that the money is fueling your lifestyle alone and you don't realize that money has been entrusted to show how you trust God and love God. That's the key question. So too, poverty is not to be our identity, that we're scrapping for money, but to say that we got resources in Christ and that we understand our trusting in Him. And so we keep on reading, and it says, he, he elaborates on this even more. He says, look, look, the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers fall, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Just, it's a fascinating phrase. The rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. It's the picture of this person is active. He's busy. He's working. But all the way, all the while, though he's there in body, he's faded. He's becoming a shell. He's becoming hollow in the midst of his pursuits. How is it that someone in the midst of the pursuits are fading even as we look at them? It happens this way. Riches come. Comforts come. Certain influence comes. Power Amenities come, and they are very comfortable, they're very enjoyable, and before long, our heart starts to depend on these more and more, and our mind gets captured by these things, and so our pursuits, instead of moving toward things that matter for eternity, start to move toward things that matter for just the now. And because these things that our heart starts to slowly drift toward are hollow, are passing, are fake, our soul becomes like that. And so James says, they're fading away even in the midst of their pursuits. What we love should give us life and not be passing away. And so we're going to look 
to the eternal. Trials have seasons. And as, as we look at this scenario of, the, of these two trials, riches and poverty, James says, let me show you what wisdom looks like. Understand that there is an, an eternal God. Trials have seasons. And so let's not be too caught up in the seasonal. And let's instead look to the eternal. And so as we go on, uh, we need to have a foothold. What are the footholds? Remember, praying for wisdom. What do footholds look like? They look like those things that are guaranteed by God and those things that are eternal. And so when it comes to riches, he says, I want you to understand, you who have a lot of money, these things are going to pass away. So don't hold on to it. Hold on to that which is eternal. That which is promised by God. The the image that you see here in verses 9 through 11 is that of a judgment time. What will matter when God judges? And so it's not just what decisions should I make that will make the most importance five years from now. But it's what decisions should I make that matter before God? Let me share with you how this looked like in one season of our life. Um... Many years ago, uh, about 15 years ago, Julie was going through an, uh, a pretty complicated surgery. It was going to be very extensive. Um, and there was a lot of repercussions that could come from this and a lot of uh, possibilities. And we really didn't know what the end results of the surgery would be. And I remember struggling with this and praying and trying to figure out what I'm going to set my emotions on. Because you have to set your emotions on something. What are you going to set your heart on? And I was praying for wisdom. I said, God, I want to be able to hold on to something that is true. What's the temptation? The temptation that I was feeling was holding on to wishful thinking. What did that look like? Well, for me at that time, it looked like, okay, God, I'm going to pray for a certain outcome to happen in the surgery. I'm going to pray that everything will go back to normal and that we'll be able to carry on without any problem whatsoever. And I was wanting that, but I could not in good conscience pray that. Why? Because I didn't find anywhere in Scripture where God guaranteed that. So I could pray for it, but I couldn't hold on to that. I couldn't claim it. You know, the the idea of name it and claim it. I'm going to name this to be true. I'm going to claim it to be true. The thing is, you have to base it on something that you can hold on to. And this idea of this surgery is going to come out a certain way was just my desire. And when it was all said and done, that was all it was. And so I needed, I needed God give me a foothold because I feel myself sliding down the mountain. So I searched the scriptures. And I did see a promise. Paul acknowledged 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, where God said to him, my grace is sufficient. It's okay, Lord. Here's a foothold. I'm desiring wisdom. I'm looking for things that are guaranteed, things that are eternal. That's why the Word of God is so critical. 
So absolutely critical. And one of the desires is that we would read the word of God together so that I know that we're looking, we're looking at God's word together and praying that God would speak to us that we can learn what is guaranteed, what is eternal to hold on to. And in that time, as I was reading the word of God to say, God's grace is sufficient to say, okay, I've got something I can hold on to that regardless of what happens, what way the surgery goes, I know at the end that God's grace will be sufficient regardless of what happens. Thank you. I have a foothold. You see, what I'm saying is that we go and we seek God's wisdom that he can give us that which is guaranteed that's his internal. So James says, here's an example, poverty and riches. Let me show you how this works. And he goes to the word of God and says, see, here is wisdom. Your riches will not last forever. So don't hold on to that because it's not guaranteed. It's flying away like the flowers of the field. Hold on to what is eternal we keep on reading verse 12 blessed is the man this is like that beatitude or happy is the man that corresponds to verse 2 count it all joy my brothers blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials that goes back to verse 4 let steadfastness have its full effect and then the word trial of course you see that in verse 2 uh, when you meet trials of various kinds blesses the man happy is the man who remains steadfast under trial why for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life the crown of life so let me just share this. A unique relationship with Christ is found on the other side of testing. A unique relationship with Christ is found in enduring trials. The image here is the crown of life. The crown of life. That there, that there is a rewarding of this. That God is wanting to give. Now, what does that mean to be crown of life? I, I would go back to what, how Jesus defined eternal life. In John chapter 17, verse 3, he says, This is eternal life, that you know God and His Son, Jesus Christ. What we know as eternal life, as defined by Jesus, is this relationship with God the Father, the eternal one, and this relationship with His Son that there is something unique that is found in enduring trials. So, the question that really comes from this is this. Is that enough? When you go through trial, and God says to you, hold on, dear one, endure. Don't seek to leave. Let it have its work. Remain under. Look to me for wisdom. Hold on. And if you hold on, I will give access to you, give grace to you, to reveal myself to you in a way you did not and could not know outside of this. Would you say that's enough? In the honest moments of our life, we would have to say there have been seasons 
when that has not been enough. You know what these trials usually are? It's something removed from us. Health, a relationship, a certain amount of money, a car, things like that. Something that we had our identity is removed from us and we grieve it. And God says to you, yes, that's been removed, but what you once went to for that, I will provide for you now. And will you say that's enough? Which takes me to this very last idea. So we keep on reading there in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast on trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. There's this unique relationship found with him, which God has promised to those who love Joy in trials only comes from those who love, from those with love for Christ. Only comes from a love for Christ. One of the things I shared with you last week is that trials and adversities threaten everything under the sun. Everything is fair game under the sun. And the things that we build our life upon is fair game. Our looks, our strength, Our parents, our children, our spouses, our job, our brain, our speech, everything is fair game. And at the end of the day, if any of those things are still intact, then praise God, thank Him, because there's no promises. That's hard and harsh. But even more hard and harsh is to live your life and your identity based on those things. Everything under the sun is fair game to be lost. So, consequently, trials cannot be a joy. Joy is found only from those who have a love for Christ and can say that though I lose this, I've gained more of Christ in the process. And I thank God for that because I love Him. Where does that love come from? His love for us. His love for us. Why do we read the word of God? So we can learn of his love for us. But that person who learns in the trials and the challenges to love Jesus Christ more than, and you fill in the blank, they are the most real persons out there. The shallowness have been washed away by the storms of life. And they are whole, real, substantive. Remember the Velveteen Rabbit? This is the old skinny horse words of wisdom to the Velveteen Rabbit. Real isn't how you're made, said the skinny horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? Asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the horse, for he was always truthful. When you're real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skinny horse. You become, it takes a long time. 
That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off. And your eyes drop out. And you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter all. Because once you are real, you can't be ugly. Except to people who don't understand. For those who love Christ, every trial, every adversity, challenge is to say, God, this is a time of your creation in which I can get more of you. And teach me to love you. Not my idea of following you. Be, <laughs> that will lead you astray. To love you, not my idea of following you. To love you. And though I don't wish to go down this road, I will thank you for it. Because I will get you and more of you. There's an old hymn says, though dark be my way, since he is my guide, tis mine to obey, tis his to provide. Though cisterns be broken and creatures all fell, the word he has spoken shall surely prevail. His love in time past forbids me to think he'll leave me at last in trouble to sink. And can he have taught me to trust in his name and thus far have brought me to put me to shame? How bitter the cup, no heart can conceive, which he drank quite up that sinners might live. His way was much rougher and darker than mine. Did Jesus thus suffer and shall I repine? Since all that I meet shall work for my good. The bitter is sweet, the medicine is food. Though painful at present, twill cease before long. And then, oh, how pleasant the conqueror's song. We began our time singing a song, Standing on the Promises. And I asked the question, are the promises enough of God enough? Are they enough to give you joy, to give you love? They are enough to make you whole. And perhaps maybe our closing should be as we sing, God, I need thee. Every power, I need thee. Because you alone are the eternal one that will last. May I endure by your grace, by your strength, with your wisdom. Let's pray. Father, this world is so caught up in riches, caught up in materials. Lord, you have blessed us and that we live in the land of plenty in many ways. Father, in fact, we live in such a place that when we don't have a nest egg and we don't have a car, then we are regarded as inadequate. the world we live in, Lord. You've placed us here. You've done so to test us. Lord, will we spend our heart, our pursuits, our energy, our days pursuing after the things that will not last. Father, reminded of what one of your servants said, that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And Father, I thank you as we read this word that you teach us that we cannot lose you and that you desire us, that you want to give us a crown of life. Father, you want us to love you and you've given your love to us. And Lord, you have said that if we would just ask out of faith, 
desiring you that you would give wisdom generously for the trials and adversities that we go through so that we can count it all joy. Lord, may we not be those complaining sods out there, Lord, who are always bemoaning life. Father, may we be those who take joy in life because in this life we have you and find you. Lord, you will test us. We only ask that in those testing, Lord, would you make it count. We are your servants. For this that you've presented before us, the rich are poor, that we would rejoice in our humiliation and exaltation. But Lord, we need you every hour, every moment. We need you. So Lord, we want to continue our prayer to you, asking for your presence. We pray this in your name.